Hi, folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping, as you know, we rely entirely on you to pay it forward and keep the mics on and the conversations like the one you're about to hear keep happening. Uh, how you do that is you click the link at the top of the podcast. It says patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. And it's the easiest bit of activism you can do. Once a month, you throw us that few quid and it helps us carve out that space so we can keep being the irritants that we want to be. We understand it's tough out there at the moment, so we appreciate every cent we get. But it isn't the one-way street. You get tons of additional content, including the last few days alone. Sarsha Exton joined Rory to talk about her uh, intervention, shall I say, to Eamon Ryan's speech and the reaction she received uh, as a young climate activist, uh, one of the people behind Fridays for Futures. Uh, Porrick Fogarty joined us. If you were uh, living under a rock, you might not have known that Porrick Fogarty left the Irish Wildlife Trust over a blog that he wrote where he made a comment about the Irish Farmers Association and some of the members or some of the actions lurching to the far right uh, went over really well with our members at the moment and of course Shami Malik Miam and Harry Mac Evansonia joined us for our Sunday show and it went a little bit all over the place all of those and our entire back catalogue of over about 1300 podcasts now at this stage are in one consolidated feed at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack you'll be doing us a huge favour and you're saving yourself the grief of having to listen to this I'm going to wrap it up now and let you get to the podcast <laughs> Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope. And I'm your host, Rory Hearn, and delighted to be joined on the podcast now by Mavis Ramazani. And Mavis is a pioneer for refugee women, is a member of Massey in Ireland, which is the movement of asylum seekers in Ireland. She works for the Irish Refugee Council. She is a multi-award winner in community integration and justice, and she is very passionate about creating sustainable employment and support networks for women and helping them to be empowered in themselves and leading their own communities. And she leads by example. And I met Mavis at the um, Massey and Refugee um, World Refugee Day protest event celebration at the Garden of Remembrance this week, which was a really fantastic event. Um, and I'm delighted, Mavis, that you joined me today on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this. Me too. Thank you for inviting me, Rory. So Mavis, maybe you could tell us just, you know, a bit about yourself and kind of what um, brought you to Ireland and in terms of, yeah, kind of where your involvement in Massey and yeah, just a little bit about yourself would be brilliant. All right. Well, I am a mom a mom of two beautiful girls, a community builder, a change maker, someone who's very active in community and advocate for more humane and better living conditions for refugees here in Ireland, very much on the ground with individuals within community to support them integrate I'm also a refugee here um, in Ireland. We have seen last year how situations, situation changed for the Ukrainian community. I think it was an eye-opening for many that individual circumstances can change any time. So over the years, 
myself, I didn't know that I will find myself in Ireland, but always lived in very unsafe conditions. So safety is priority for all of us. Yeah. My journey coming to Ireland, you know, it's because of that basic human need we all need and deserve to find a place where we feel protected and safe. So I'm here in Ireland and I love it. It's my home. I don't see myself or I don't consider myself a stranger or that I'm not Irish. I am because my roots are here now. It's a place I found friends, family, a place of sanctuary, which I believe it will continue to be a place of sanctuary for many refugees like me. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful. And and, and I, you know, I said that at the protest, you know, this is Ireland now, mm-hmm. you know, a multicultural, you know, diverse um yeah just you know we this is the ireland of today and i think that it, it's it's so sad and so ang- angering i know so many people to see this you know rise in in this far right the racism you know anti-refugee sentiment that you know this is not you know we're you know there's never a point at which we're not going to be welcoming and not going to be a diverse country and and it's how, how do you feel about that now and how do you see it because how many years are you living here in Ireland now um seven years in Ireland now yeah so over that seven years kind of how have you felt you know have you seen a change in terms of you know how refugees have been seen and how you know people from different backgrounds and are been experiencing or because we know, of course, racism has been, you know, ongoing and is towards, you know, has been since, you know, towards a traveler community. And mm-hmm. um, but how have you seen it kind of change or is it the same? How What's your experience been over those seven years? There has been both positive and negative changes. I believe changes, it is slow. The slowness in change is not all stakeholders uh, being involved because we know Literary individuals like yourself and me are very active in community. We want to be part of tables that could bring change faster than what is happening. But in terms of the community, the community individuals are very warm, welcoming. Yes, recently we have seen the rise of the far right. But in my experience over the the seven years, when you reach out to individuals, for support. You can build your own tribe. I have built my own tribe. Ireland has structures within communities. We have the community centers that you can go to. You There's different events that welcome in individuals and allows us to fully function and integrate. But there's little effort that is put into the integration of refugees in Ireland. Not a fault of communities individual, but I believe that the government could do more in terms of the resources, making available resources, and also to listen. Listen to individuals in the community. What are their needs? Where are their priorities? Because where the need is and where the priorities are is where resources need to be diverted. Like one example, I will say there is a high level of mental health challenges because individuals 
who are in emergency centers, whether it's refugees or the Irish, they do not have access to cooking facilities. So food poverty is real and that needs to be addressed. And secondly, you know, the healthcare system, you know, how do we access the healthcare for women, for children, for everyone? It is challenging. That needs to change. And our work is more important now for us to keep advocating for the change. We are in the times where Ireland's population has increased. The government need to involve all stakeholders in the crisis management because a crisis stays a crisis if you don't involve all stakeholders, if you don't involve the voices. Last week, I've watched your webinar on Facebook. You know, all the pro- the proposal you're putting out there, they need to listen because it can address the housing crisis. When you don't have shelter over your head, no food to eat, you find alternatives. Either it's substance abuse, it is crime, things that could be prevented that can be prevented, but we don't always as individuals on the ground, you know, as community leaders, builders, as servants to our community, we don't have the resources. We need, uh, you know, to be given the resources, including the financial resources, collaborating our, our efforts. I believe there is a room for collaboration from individuals from different backgrounds so that we can work together for the better of our country because it has changed. It's diverse. We are here. You know, yeah. it's beautiful. It's how you embrace that difference. That's what yeah. makes it difference. And we as Ireland can develop models that other European countries and other countries can copy from. It is possible. Of course um, it is. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And just in terms of your own, did you uh, live in direct provision yourself for a period? I did. Yes. I was in direct provision more than three years. Yeah. Three and a half years in direct provision. And how was that experience for you? It changed me. Okay. Really, it was hard. The conditions are deteriorating now, but the conditions were very bad. Firstly, is the treatment, you know, and not being allowed to cook for yourself, which is still the case today. And individuals who are responsible for your health and well-being, they don't practice trauma-informed practices. Mm. The way they treat us as if we are nobodies, whereas we know there's nobody that is a nobody, but the way you treat individuals with lack of respect. At the same time, you know, we found support in each other. I was one of the individuals, if you violate my right in any shape or form, I'll bring to your attention. So I fought many fights and I saw changes internally and I went out and I built um, relationships with individuals outside. You know, Masi, the Refugee and Migrant Solidarity Island, Katu, whenever I have issues, I bring them on board. But the is no body that monitors how we are or we were treated while living in direct provision because someone has to hold individuals who are facilitating 
the stay of the most vulnerable of our society. And not just, okay, here are refugees of international protection, accommodate them in your space. But how are you accommodating? What are the conditions? Yeah. You know, there needs to be a quality ensuring body that looks into that, not research. Research can be done, but research is just a paper that will be published, which is very good because it's a guiding document. But someone who can hold them accountable, like seriously, the standard of living condition is not the same in different direct provision centers. Some are better than the others, but they're accommodating the same families, the same young people, the same individuals. Why the standard of living in others is worse than the other? What is the difference? You know, yeah. there's a lot of, there was, and there still is discrimination and racism and control. There's a lot of coercive, there was a lot of coercive control where you are controlled, you know, for instance, how many toilet papers you can have a week, you know, when you go in, you can come in and out. You you have to, to 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 report every time. Visitors are not allowed. This place you it's a it's, it's you have informed me that it's my temporary home, but I'm not even allowed to bring in uh, the visitors. You are yeah. consistently monitors with cameras everywhere. So those were were the living conditions. And and you spoke there about you know that they don't practice trauma informed you know, a service. Maybe you could explain a little bit about why that's important, you know, particularly, you know, from refugees who are obviously coming from trauma. And yeah. maybe you could talk a little bit about that because I think that is important that, you know, people often don't think about that. You know, they think is, as you're saying, oh, you provide accommodation and therefore that's enough or mm. that's appropriate or the type of accommodation actually really matters. And that idea of trauma I think mm. is something maybe people can understand a bit more. Maybe you can mm. explain that. Okay, I will. When you are displaced, the refugees are displaced, you know, they've lost everything. Different individuals live with different levels of post-traumatic stress disorder caused by trauma and displacement and being in a country. Most of the time you are very sensitive. We are very vulnerable. The way you communicate, you know, can easily trigger the individual trauma. Yeah. It can compound the trauma or it can help the healing process. Mm -hmm. How we treat each other. So whether you are a staff member or a member of a community, there needs to be an understanding that individuals who are refugees carry a level of trauma. Someone who comes from, whether you come from a war or unsafe conditions, you don't know my own condition, but it was unsafe levels that I was forced to move to where I am. It's, it wasn't out of comfort. It's not a holiday. Yeah. Mentally, we carry a lot of trauma and can be easily triggered by the voice, by the behavior of other individuals. But when you practice tra trauma-informed practices as simple as being kind, being kind, being compassionate, empathic, empathetic to the other person, and making sure the living condition meet the very basic individuals have access 
to the community, access to the health care that they need. Even in your own living space, it is comfortable. Those are trauma-informed practices. The way we are treated, basically, it needs to respect that we are human beings who are here in Ireland and turn the tables around, you know, wear someone else's shoes. The way you are treating refugees currently as individual institutions, if tables were turned, even currently with even selective solidarity where other refugees within the refugee community are treated differently, that's compounding trauma. And that is getting in the way even on individuals integrating. Yes. Then it causes conflict within community. Trauma-informed practices also mean consulting with the community and say, okay, we are bringing individuals in your community so that they are prepared, they are aware. So the consultation, continuous communication is part of trauma-informed practices. But the most vital practice is how you treat other people. How are you treating other people in order for them to heal, to yes. be able to find their feet? Because we come with skills, with expertise, with passion, with attitude that it's our home we are going to contribute. That can easily be impacted or is easily, it is impacted negatively by individuals who don't practice trauma-informed practices. Yeah, no, it's so important um, mm -hmm. to talk about that. And again, I think it's important because people can relate to it as well. You know, they can mm -hmm. understand it. And, off, you know, refugees are amongst other groups who are othered. You know, they are, it's like yeah. created, like these are these people coming to take, you know, to distort your or whatever they, the crazy ideas they have. But like, these are the ideas they communicate, you know, that they're not your culture and they're going to, you know, did, uh, what's the word? Um, dissolve your culture and, and you know, they're going to take jobs and they're going to, you know, mean you've less access to health services. And these refugees mm. are created in the minds of people as almost evil people coming to take advantage of, of what is here rather yeah. than actually, I think we need to find ways of, of, humanizing everybody you know and refugees in particular that these are people and I think trying to connect around that mental health and trauma is a way that people yeah. do go actually yeah these aren't just you know like these others they're actually just humans like us and we've all been through you know different experiences and I think there's the uh, mental health and trauma one is one that particularly people do connect with um mm -hmm. Do you think that that's some way that we can try and talk more and connect and integrate? Yeah, we can build those bridges. First, looking at access issues. You know, when individuals come in, who has access? Why do they have access? Those who do not have access to either emergency center or direct provision, why? Why wouldn't you have access to individuals? Secondly, you know, the information, there needs to be a way to share information when you come in. I remember when I came in, even to access a a, a GP, for instance, yeah, to access schools, it was such a challenge. 
But how do we bridge that gap? So looking at the gaps that individuals, when they come in, in terms of accessing information, accessing resources, and also consistently go back to our mission of fighting together and end to direct provision centers. Let us be part of communities from day one, because in my years of experience, I found that Ireland is well resources. You have the human resources, you have the financial resources, you have communities ready to accept refugees. But the discrimination, the wrong information about refugees shed is it's causing fear yeah. among the the, the the communities. So from day one, where are we going? How can we be accessed? What resources individuals need in order to rebuild again? In schools as well, uh, the schools, are they informed? You know, we have so many children, young people in the communities. And to change around um, that access to third level education, we have more young people in the country now. And we know there's that three years rule. In the three years, what do you want the young person to do when they cannot access that level education? Just explain the three years rule. Not not everybody will be familiar with that. Okay, you need to be three years in the country before you can get a government support in order for individuals to access that level university education that is particularly for young people and mature students. And secondly, what I have discovered recently even apprentices you need to have your status for you to be able to be an apprentice okay those are you know barriers to integration yeah barriers to rebuilding again to individuals imagine a young person for three years or an adult who's highly qualified maybe they just need a year to retrain Access to information is very important. And secondly, to language. It's not everyone who's fortunate to come from a country, you know, where English was one of the official languages. How are we accessing individuals with language barriers and making sure that they receive the support, the critical support, very basic support they need from healthcare to accessing English classes, for me, my solution would be we have individuals already on the ground like Mavis. How are we supporting Mavis? What resources are we giving Mavis in order for Mavis to continuously and consistently do her work? Because it can be exhausting making use of your own resources. The grassroots, we have so many grassroots organizations. Let us look at empowering the grassroots organization and funding them as well because we are doing great work in our communities but it is not easy without the resources and the funding to do the work yeah i i think you know again that's um you know really clear kind of you know advice and clear ways in which we can you know improve integration and support 
you know, the creation of a of a more inclusive society. And it's disappointing, you know, to hear that, you know, someone like yourself and, you know, can't access the resources that are needed to, you know, to do what you can do and what you want to do. Um, do you find that frustrating? I do. I find it frustrating and stressful because I always put in extra effort, go extra mile. It seems like I always need to convince individuals to support me, whereas individuals are aware of the, the, the situation on the ground. Another thing that I have noticed in my years of working in community is listening. We need to do a lot of listening from lived experience. How can we help you? Individuals have their own ideas and they bring immediately there, which is good, but yeah. listening and meeting people halfway. Because if you listen and meet individuals in their need, in the area of need, then they are able to go an extra mile. Like for instance, access to cooking facilities. Someone who doesn't have the cooking facilities, we advocate for that to change. Individuals have access, they're able to eat. When you eat, have prepared your own food. Yeah. You have the headspace to engage with the community. But when you don't even have food, that discrimination or what you call it, the food poverty is getting yeah. in the way of fully engaging in community because it's compounding complex trauma. Your mental health deteriorates. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. And it's, it's again, something that you wouldn't think about automatically, you know, that... It, that ability to, you know, cook your own food is so mm -hmm. basic. But even then, you know, having the resources to actually go buy that food and what that would mm -hmm. mean then in terms of being able to go out into the community and purchase your food from a shop. Yeah. That then supports the community and you become part of it rather than just been, you know, kept away um, and not only disempowered, but actually been you know, restricted from your involvement in the community. In the community, exactly. Yeah. The layers of discriminations are just so many. But but it's like, it's almost you could flip it on its head and go, well, actually, it's a real opportunity for integration. If people had the resources, financial resources to go into a shop locally, buy the food, you know, chat to the shopkeeper, do you know what I mean, shop owner, people yeah. who are working there, and then, you know, go cook their own food. And, you know, it empowers them and it also integrates as well. Exactly. Yeah, it does. And in terms of that access to cooking and own cooking facilities, has there been any move in terms of government policy around that? No, there hasn't been. Um, some of the direct provision centres have the right, I mean, they have their own cooking facilities but not most direct provision center. You know, they still cater for. And, these, and there are names that individuals need to be aware of because it's not every place that refugees and international protection applicants are com accommodated is called a direct provision center. We have an increase in emergency centers, hotels that are currently, you know, housing refugees and international protection applicant. Yeah. And with the current housing crisis, we are not there for days or weeks. You are there for months. 
So for months, you can't be eating same food. Some of the individuals, like in the community, have health complications. They have babies to look after. They have certain allergies. So it's not possible for a chef to be able to cook weeks and months for the same community. Impossible. Yeah, yeah. Some individuals choose to go hungry than actually, you know, it's the f- kind of food they know is going to complicate their health and it also has an impact on their mental health as well. Yes, of course it does. Absolutely. Mm. The link between food and mental health is huge. It's um, huge, yeah. Really huge. And again, it's back to people's ability to control their own lives. And mm-hmm. as you say, you know, when these when these things are out of control, people feel, you know, it has a major impact on your sense of self, you know, your, your self-esteem. You know, when you can't control or the basic things in your life, like providing food, the most basic thing of all. Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of that, the housing issue and, you know, we've seen the horrific, um, you know, the burning of the, of the tents and the horrific situation that um, has faced, you know, refugees and asylum seekers being forced straight into homelessness, essentially, um, yeah. that... There is so much more that the government could be doing, you know, in terms of accessing, you know, derelict buildings and vacant ones and renovating them. Do you think that there's an element of them purposefully forcing asylum seekers onto the streets to to send a message to the world that, oh, Ireland, you know, can't take refugees because they're made homeless uh, straight away and that, that the, in a way it's playing to the arguments of the far right and the racist that, oh, Ireland is full, when in actual fact they could very easily accommodate, you know, those few hundred people who have been, you know, who, who weren't being accommodated, that it wasn't just an accident or, you know, this um, crisis situation, that how much of it was actually them using this, do you think? Ireland is has not run out of space of building like you, you've just stated now, Rory. So there must be a political agenda behind it. And it breaks my heart to see that in Ireland, I, it's my home now, all these years, we have homelessness that can be avoided. Some countries yeah. have homelessness, they cannot avoid it. But in Ireland, it can be avoided. And the government is not doing what it should. Earlier on, you know, I'm just repeating myself now. There are individuals like yourself who say, there are buildings, here is a solution. Why are government officials and relevant department not listening? Why are they not addressing the housing crisis? What are they standing to benefit? What are they standing to benefit really? The discrimination, the racism, now the banning of the refugee camp, that is a warning. Do we want to turn or do they want to turn Ireland into a racist country where there is intolerance amongst communities? Because this is what is going to lead into We are a community and a country that can house everyone. No one should be 
homeless in Ireland because we have the resources. But there are few individuals who are not making the right decisions, who are exposing other individuals into danger. They are opening that gap of divide and conquer, dividing communities and leaving all of us vulnerable. This is complete violation of human rights. Yeah. We need yeah. to talk and talk more and put more pressure at different levels from the government. We should not be in a situation where individuals, especially coming to seek for international protection, because it is a human right and circumstances can change. Even here in Ireland, we'll never know. You know, over 24 hours, many countries' situations have changed. Why are we not welcoming? Why are we not making it's safe for refugees. After all these years, that island has been doing well in terms of accommodating. Right now, we should be talking about ending direct provision and putting in place own accommodation. But instance, we are way back still yeah. talking about accommodating um, all citizens, the refugees as well. Yeah. No one should be sleeping in a tent or sleeping outside because we are capable as a country. We have the resources. We have the space. It's not a matter of space. It's not resources. We are not a poor country. We are a first world country. Why are government relevant agencies and bodies not meeting that very, very basic human right, the right to housing, to be accommodated, to live in dignity? Absolutely. No, you're so right. And, and it's, it really is. And we have to, you know, question it back and, and pressure them and say, look, it's not acceptable, you know, and we're not accepting this as a country that, you know, has such resources and such wealth. Um, the idea that, you know, people can be homeless and left in these situations for years is just wrong um, and is a violation of human rights and, and points to the need, you know, for the right to housing and the right to home to be really progressed. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, it's it's so it's so great to hear, you know, as you say, the lived experience and important to hear the lived experience. Yeah. It, just a little bit maybe on, um, you know, the work you do around, you know, you call it kind of enterprise, social enterprise, empowerment of women. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Well, I have my own initiative. It's called Cooking for Freedom. I'm advocating for an end to food poverty, but Cooking for Freedom um, is a space that we create for individuals who currently do not have their cooking facilities yeah. to come and make use of available community kitchen to cook their own food, to prepare their own meal at the same time, integrate into community, meet individuals like myself, myself who can give more information while individuals are in the kitchen, particularly the women and the young people preparing their meals. We meet at that personal level where an individual can, you know, ask for information. Yeah. For me to be able to connect them to further support, you know, with Cooking for Freedom and trying to bridge that gap, you know, to be a resource because behind me I have community support of amazing uh, individuals and also my work with the Irish Refugee Council. I'm in employment. 
I support women with information, one-on-one holistic support, uh, because as you are aware, since 2018, Ireland has opted to give international protection applicants a right to work that space. And in my profession, I talk with women or rather I give guidance and advice on how they can find employment in Ireland. At the same yeah. time, I also build relationship with businesses, creating awareness about the right to work and their role in offering, you know, employment opportunities. And it's still difficult because once a system change, creating awareness and education, educating uh, individuals about the work that I do, it's it's not easy. But the more I do it, the more a few that are being informed, then I get connected to other individuals. I'm always looking for platforms to create awareness about the right to work, and end to food poverty where individuals have access to cooking facilities, a lot of community building to say, okay, we we are here and this is how we would like to contribute. Here are the real barriers and the challenges that we face. Myself, I also, you know, being even a woman, I have layers of, you know, of barriers before me. But yeah. each time... I move them because I interact in communities. I get into spaces through events, like now through the podcast. I know I'm going to reach other people, exposing myself, putting myself out there for the thousands of people that come to me, that come with me in any room that I am I, I, I am in. You know, yeah. I'm still, I am empowered, you know, empowered by my own lived experience because I also raised two young women and I believe if I can walk this walk, they will be able to fly. Mm-hmm. I need Brilliant. to do the hard work <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. That's lovely that they can fly. I love that. That is excellent. It's, um, and it is, you know, it is inspiring, um, to see the work and, and there's practical ways as well that that people can help and support. Um, I know in terms of like the cooking for freedom, how could people help out with that? Is there a way they can help? Yes, there is a way they can help with cooking for freedom is to follow us on Instagram. We have, um, and also to support us financially because we depend on individuals. We have the Patreon we have the I donate and our email address as well. They can email me if they have some time, uh, equipment that they can donate. We are currently looking also for more kitchens, community kitchens. We have access to Focus Island Family Resource Center, Wesley House Methodist Church, where we are currently making news, but there is a huge need. We have 150 members growing. We need yeah. more kitchen. If there are any community kitchens that are available, we would appreciate if we can have access. I coordinate with um, individuals in the spaces, you know, to uh, for for my own community or the members of Cooking for Freedom to to access. So those are. 
few ways that I would say can be able to to support us. And I will be sharing later today a newsletter. If you receive an email and it has our newsletter, please reshare it with other people and connect with us on Instagram or via email and we'll be able to give more information on how to support uh, my work, our work. And also to create cultural events where true food individuals can come in, meet with you, um, with everyone in the community, be able to interact at a more personal level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 so true, like with foods, that it is a great way to connect people. And it's so interesting. It kind of threads through our whole conversation, the issue of food, and, yeah. you know, and, and there's all these different sides. And clearly that's what you have seen and it's what you've lived and experienced that, yeah. you know, that 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 way around, you know, food being denied the, the ability to cook your own food, then going, OK, well, let's see, can this be a way? to give people, mm. empower them to be able to do it. And then as a way to integrate and be involved as well and create community, I think it's a it's a fantastic um, idea and approach. Uh, so hopefully this will, uh, there will be some listeners who will be interested in engaging and getting involved, which would be brilliant. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it would be fab. And listen, Mavis, it's been lovely to chat to you. And I know that listeners will have found it really interesting and that it is... You know, so these are difficult, difficult times in Ireland, but also times when we need to stand up and, you know, show leadership and we need to create, find ways to create hope and moving forward. And I think yeah. that when, you know, I saw what you were doing, I was like, no, that's a way we could move forward. So I'm delighted you came on. And uh, uh, thank you for having me. You know, we need to consistently be collaborating and talk and action as well. Take action together. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, Mavis, thanks so much for coming on Reboot Republic today. Thank you for having me. Hey. And that was Mavis uh, Ramazani. And you can check out and we'll put the link um, up on the uh, podcast, the site in terms of Cooking for Freedom, if you want to. Get involved in support and the contact will be available there. And thank you so much to our listeners uh, for listening, for taking the time. um, And please, if you can, share the podcast around. Let people know you're listening. And also, if you can, consider becoming a patron to support um, Reboot Republic, the podcast. We are completely independent media. um, We get no sponsorship, no ads. We rely on our listeners to support us. So if you can, please go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise track. Thank you so much. I will talk to you all very, very soon. Mm